City. I'm so excited about this new series. In 1957, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a speech called The Beloved Community. It was a message about the aftermath of nonviolence. He said, what would come after this? He said, you know, you know, Grace City, for 13 years, we've been preaching about reconciliation, reconciling people to God and to one another. But Dr. King raised the question, what comes after reconciliation? You know, what would come, what is the aftermath of reconciliation? He said these words, he said, but the end of reconciliation, the end of redemption, the end of creation is the beloved community church. And this week and for 12 weeks, we're going to preach on the beloved community. Dr. King believed that this type of spirit, this type of love can transform an oppressor to a friend. This type of love can move a friendly eros love that ro or romantic, it's not a romantic love, but it is the agape love of Jesus Christ that begins to transform minds and hearts. It is the love of God. And he says these words, church, that is so profound. He says, when the love of the beloved community comes together, it becomes salvation for our civilization. Good God Almighty, that the beloved community can be the very salvation of our civilization. Grace City, I believe every person under the sound of my voice in this room today needs community. You are loved. You are valued. You matter. This community here is the beloved community. Dr. King said that those who have been rescued, saved, and redeemed, and reconciled, when they come together, they are called to be the beloved community. The beloved community is a shared narrative, the belief that a community in which everyone cares for can have the absence of poverty, hunger, and hate. Beloved community doesn't happen absent from the agape love of Jesus Christ. And you know that love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believe in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. This next 12 weeks, we're looking at Jesus calling us together as the beloved community at the farewell discourse where Jesus shares them a message that I believe is relevant to us today. And he says, the time has come. Let me pray. You may be seated. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your glory, your presence. We thank you for your word today. God, you are the potter. We are the clay. Move, shape us, mold us for what you need us to be. Holy Spirit, we give you full authority. Minister through our minds. Speak with our tongues. Love with our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say, amen. This morning, I just want to lift uh, the, the first five verses of John chapter 13. I'll read it in your hearing. It was just before the Passover festival. Just Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, the Issachar, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, 
And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, trying to drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 1 grabs our attention this morning. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I just want to spend a few minutes this morning preaching from this title, The Time Has Come for the Beloved Community. The Time Has Come for the Beloved Community. Ray City, I have a question for you this morning. Is there a difference between a group of people simply gathering and a community? Is there a difference between a group of people gathering together and what we call a community? You know, not too far from here, Bob, if we had the Ravens had made it to the playoff, there would be a gathering blocks from here. And there would be a gathering for the gathering because the gathering would happen inside of the stadium. But the question I have this morning, why isn't that gathering called a community? Why is it that this gathering here that we have here is called a community, but that one is not? Dr. Toby Lowe's wrote an article in the Center of Public Impact about what community is and what it does. He defines community as a group of people who share an identity-forming narrative. He says this means a group of people who share a story that is so important to them that it defines the aspect of who they are. Those people build the shared story of that community into that sense of themselves, they build the history of those communities into their own personal history, and they see the world through the lens of those shared stories. Listen, Grace City, what makes us a community is not coming together as, as a church on Sunday morning, but we have a shared identity-forming narrative that separates us as a community rather than a gathering. Our identity-forming narrative is that when we were separated from God because of our sin, that God, the creator of the universe, clothed himself with humanity, redeemed and rescued us from our sin by coming to earth as a human, dying on a cross, rose from the dead so that you and I may live. That is our shared identity-forming narrative. When that narrative is at the center of our lives, we can, and we confess and we believe that we are a Christian community. That shared identity-forming narrative says to you and me, I'm loved, I'm redeemed, I'm rescued, I'm reconciled, I'm saved, and I am a child of God. We have an identity-forming narrative. But guess what? You don't just have to say I. When you are in a beloved community, I can look across the room and say, you are loved by God. You are redeemed by God. You are rescued by God. You are reconciled by God. You are saved by God, and you are a child of God. I can look you in the face because we're called to be the beloved Community. Grace City, it's time for the beloved community. Dr. King believed that the outcome is shared 
God, a shared hope and a shared community and a shared love is the beloved community. It's time for the beloved community where every member of the community is valued. It's time for the beloved community where every member deserves justice and equality. It's time for the beloved community where every member has dignity and equity. It's time for the beloved community where each member is taken care of by one another and not destroyed by one another. Grace City, it's time for the beloved community. Well, this is where we are in the text. Jesus is calling his disciples to a meal. Scholars call this the Last Supper or the beginning of the farewell discourse. John writes, we classified it from the book of John as the farewell discourse, and chapter 13 is the conclusion of Jesus' public ministry to the crowd, and now he's shifting to his private community and what I will label this morning as the beloved community. The word beloved means to be deeply loved. In other words, chapter 13, Jesus goes to social media, change his settings, change the settings to private, and he goes and he tells, he shuts off the comment section on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook because there's a shift from the private to the public. This moment is not about the culture. This moment is about the kingdom. This moment is not about the love or opinion of the crowd, but this moment is about the beloved community. I know that there's a shift happening because John, in most of his time when he does his writing and he's getting ready to have a shift, he says these beautiful words, the time has come. Uh, he, whenever John is making a shift inside someone's life or having an encounter with Jesus, he says the time has come. The time have come to shift from culture to kingdom. The time have come to shift from an outsider to an in, being an insider. You all know the woman at the well. You know I say this every time I stand up here. When In John chapter 4, I stand up here in this pulpit and it says, but the hour has come. And now is that's a shift. That woman who was an outsider is now becoming an insider because whenever John writes, he writes the shift. The time has come, and I come to tell you this morning, in 2022, the time has come for us to be the beloved community. John 4 says the hour has come, and here we see those words right here at the farewell discourse. Jesus says the hour has come. This, for, for three years, Jesus has been giving us his public ministry and was teaching about the aftermath of his departure. He left them knowing that why he came to earth, he wanted them for three years, he let them know why I was here. He wanted them to know that he's the Messiah, that he was born to die. On the third day, he would be rose from the dead. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the rescuer. There is a shared narrative that each and every one of us had. He brings his beloved community together and says the hour has come for me to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved the all, I love them to the end. Jesus said, I'm leaving this earth and I'm about to perform the greatest act of love that's ever been known to humanity. The time has come for the beloved community. 
Jesus, in his own words, became a visual demonstration of the shared narrative that holds together the beloved community. Great city, I say to you the same words that Jesus said to the woman at the well and the same words that he says to the disciples, that the time has come for the church to be the beloved community. 2022 is the call for the body of Christ to be the beloved community and to care for one another. Jesus called his community together to let them know that the greatest act that has been performed, which is God giving up his life, that we might live. This sacrifice, this paying the penalty for his wrong, is pay our wrong and paying and giving his life up for that is the greatest thing. It was reconciled us, it redeemed us, and it rescued us. But here's the question that's in the center of our message this morning. What is the aftermath after you've been reconciled? Because the question is, after you've been rescued, after we've been redeemed, after we've been brought together by Jesus' sacrifice, Dr. King says the aftermath should look like the beloved community. So the question for us this morning at Grace City Church, do we look like the beloved community? Because when we look like the beloved community, it will change our community. Well, how do you know if you're the beloved community, Mary Lou, how do, how do, how do you know that? Why, why would you know that? Because when you're the, God, when you're the beloved community, you have, a, you have God's message. And here's the first message I see that he's giving to his disciples. He lets them know that God's provision is being made through this beloved community. God's provision is being made through the beloved community. Let me show you this in the text. It was just before Passover festival. He knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Great City, the beloved community has a message that God has made provisions for his people. Our message is that God has made provisions for his people. Jesus was letting his disciples know what the provision was. When you listen to Dr. King's speech on beloved community, he let the people know. I want you to take time out. He is letting the people know that God has made provisions. Well, what is the provision, Pastor Coy, that God has made? Great City, I come to tell you, no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through, God has made a way of escape for his people. Let me say it again. Y'all, you don't know when to celebrate. I said, no matter what you've been through, God has made an ex- way of escape for his people. I'm not making it up, y'all. Isn't it interesting how he starts the verse? He talks about, he says, At the time of the Passover, the time has come. Let me, I got to work here. He says, watch this. At the time of the Passover, the time has come. Any Jewish person in any Jewish mind understands what the Passover is. 
The Passover is a, in Jewish culture, is a time when they celebrate their deliverance and being escaped from their bondage. So that's the time when they have the yearly celebration. So Passover is that time, if you, if you ever saw the cartoon, uh, the, the, the cartoon on Egypt or any of the movies, it is the time when the, the deaf angel, they were coming to the house and the deaf angel was coming through and, and everybody, there was a, you had to put blood on the doorpost and a lamb and put blood on the doorpost and everybody that was inside of the house, guess what, the, the deaf angel would pass over. In other words, the deaf would, they would escape death. That's the Passover. Watch this, y'all. Jesus, watch this, come at the time of the Passover, and he says, now it's time, it, it has come. What is, what, what, what is John writing and helping us to understand? The provision that was made for the people of Egypt is now being made for the people during this time. And as a matter of fact, Jesus is saying the lamb that was on the doorpost that allowed the people of Egypt to escape I am now that lamb that's going to help you escape from your sins. Oh, y'all don't know when to shout. I'm going to help you. He says, I am that lamb. I am that scapegoat. <laughs> I am the one that's going to that allow you to escape. I've made provision for you. But here, so the disciples uh, are now in the room <laughs> seeing this. Jesus is coming at this time, letting them know that the provisions have been made. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, <laughs> uh, but so many times, and we look at our culture and I look at our times and we say, when is it going to change? When is it going to change? And what do we need to do? And yes, we all can do something. But I come to tell you, God has appointed time for us to escape. From this, from, this, from this pain and this frustration and this hurt. Throughout the Bible, Egypt was, they were in bondage in Egypt, and they escaped. We had Babylonian captivity, they escaped. We go all the way now, Jesus, they escaped. Guess what, y'all? Guess what the end of the story is? The beloved community will escape. So the question is, <laughs> what's your message this morning? What's your message this morning? Because you have to go to the darkest places of this community and say, God has a way of escape. You've got to be the hope for the hopeless. You've got to be the joy for those who lack joy. That's our job. Listen, he has made a way of escape. During Dr. King's time, you want to know how he could stand so strong and during the 50s is because those people knew there was going to be a way of escape. Not just man, but God has made a way of escape. Not only has God made a way of escape, the second thing I see is provision is being made through the beloved community. But the second thing I see is that progress is being made through the beloved community. The second thing I see is progress. Watch this. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas. The son of Simeon Issachar to betray Jesus. The evening meal was in progress. 
And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Issachar, to betray Jesus. Let me pause here and say this to us. <laughs> there is no progress without tension. <laughs> let, me, let me say that again. <laughs> there is no progress without tension. Look at the setting, y'all. You have Christ, who is the sacrificial love, but there is rejection of that love by Judas. Even, watch this, Christ is the light that comes around the table, but you have the darkness of Judas' heart. <laughs> but guess what? God's plan is still progressing. I need you to understand <laughs> that there is no progress without tension. I need you to understand that the darkness and the light will collide. <laughs> See, too many times we spend our time trying to avoid the tension. But the progress comes through the collision of the tension. But this is the catch. Light will never close off darkness. I mean, I'm sorry, let me reverse that. The, the light always closes off the darkness. Darkness will never take over the light. And that's the thing. The, the collision happens, but it produces progress. The progress, church, happens through the collision. I'm grateful that life hardships collide at times because it is in those collision moments that I began to see the power and the grace of God. You know, we say scriptures like, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. God never said it wouldn't form. <laughs> he said it wouldn't prosper. The formation of our lives will have trouble. The things in our lives will have experiences where they are trouble. But he says, watch this, church, and please don't ever miss this. It is through the tension that God is still moving progress. You've never seen, a, you've never seen anyone get strength without some resistance. This is how we get our strength as a community, that we are called to go in, and we are the light. We are the ones that bring the light to the dark places. So the first thing I see here is that there is provision being made through the beloved community. The second thing I see is progress is being made through the beloved community. But the last thing I want us to understand is that power is being displayed through the beloved community. Hear these words. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. They had come from God who was returning back. So he put up from a meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped in a towel around him. And after being poured into water in the basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Church, what is power? What is the power that's in the text? Jesus was able to move in the way that he did because he knew where he was going. He knew how his story would end. We can stretch and we can serve and we can, he could go to that cross because he had no uncertainty in his mind how the story would end. And I come to tell you, church, you have the end of the story. You have the end of the story, and when you have the end of the story, you don't have to walk through this life, go through communities, walk through this life in some sense of uncertainty. You know how this ends. So guess what Jesus does? 
he goes and he washes the feet of his disciples. He washes the feet of his disciples. And when he washes the feet of his disciples, he, he, it, it is the deepest love one could ever give. Not only does he wash his feet, and then he goes and die for those who are around that table, his beloved community. And he says to you and me that when you know the end of the story, you can sacrifice in ways that's unbelievable, undeniable, that it's only the agape love of God. It is the agape love of God that will begin to change our community and our society. It is that kind of love, that deep love, that will begin to transform our community. Philippians 4 says these words, uh, Philippians 2 says these words, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, who being the very nature, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, by making human likeness being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even death on the cross. Great city, this farewell discourse that Jesus sits around has three major messages that I think is important for us that we cannot forget. That he understands and we can stand in the confidence that God has made provisions for his people. We can stand in the confidence that, yes, that progress is being made, even though it looks like it's in the midst of chaos, and that God's power will reign. Worship team, you could come up now, but here is, I want to share something with you that I think makes sense in bringing all of this together. Because Jesus, when he lost his life, when he gave that farewell discourse, he was 33 years old. But there was a man by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King who was 39 years old, gave his last message and gave his last words. I want you to hear these words and think about those points I just made. He said, at 39 years old, he stood up and said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind like anybody else would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that right now. I just want to do God's will. He's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. And I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to that promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Listen, <laughs> he already knew God made a way of escape. <laughs> he already knew at 39 years, progress was coming. He already knew the power of God would bring this through. And look at where we are 50 years later. That dream teacher, look at us in the room 50 years later. When Dr. King said that, we probably couldn't even sit on the same side of the road. But he saw it. And he said the outcome of that will be the beloved community. Amen.